We believe that alcoholism is a disease and that Alcoholics Anonymous is one solution to that disease. I'm here to bring you the voices of its members. Everyone that comes on the show, including myself, is an active member and has found recovery in the rooms of AA. As you listen, please take what works for you and leave the rest. My name is Vicki and I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date is October 19th. 1994. Hmm. I first started drinking at about the age of 14, 15 years old with the idea that I would fit in with my cousins. I remember going to my grandmother's house and my grandmother would be gone for the day and we would sneak in because we weren't going to school and we would go to my grandmother's liquor cabinet and we were drinking old granddad, old crow. That's what it was called, old crow. And I remember we used to fill the bottle back up with water and put a dash of Coca-Cola in it to make the color come. And then when my grandmother would get home and get comfortable for the evening to go and pour her a drink. I would be long gone, but my cousins would tell me, Grandma was mad. Grandma was mad. Grandma figured out that we drank her drink. She couldn't figure out what was wrong, and she was accusing everybody but us. Little did we know at the time that us playing in the alcohol was going to lead to a pattern of addiction that would take years to come out of. I remember trying marijuana with the kids in the community because I wanted to fit in. You see, I, I just didn't think that I was a pretty girl. And so I did almost anything in order for the people to like me. And when I think about back in those days, what was it that made me think that I wasn't good enough at the time? Could it have been the fact that me and my brothers never had the newest clothes? Could it have been the idea that alcoholism was running rampant in our household and there was lots of domestic violence? Could it have been that everyone on the outside of me appeared to be prettier than me? I don't know. I mentioned that. We didn't have the newest of clothes. While the clothes were new to us, they were not new clothes. I remember being a kid and getting in a car with my parents on a Thursday night in the middle of the night and us driving to a local Goodwill and dumpster diving to get the clothes that people had dropped off earlier in the evening because Thursday nights, I think it was, was the night that people would donate clothes. And so we would get there before the Goodwill opened and my parents would push us over into the dumpsters and we would toss the clothes out and they would go through them piece by piece to see which clothes would be cleanest and the neatest clothes for us to have and and not so ripped up. And, and, And I remember going to school with patches on and 
not necessarily fitting in with the kids at school, not knowing why I didn't fit in. But I, I remember being one of the skinniest girls on the block and the other girls appeared to have, you know, just this lovely shape about them that I just didn't feel confident in knowing. I remember my parents used to throw these parties and these parties, everybody would come. The aunties would come and my mother's side of the family, my father's side of the family, and everybody be drinking and playing cards and slamming bones. We dominoes, playing dominoes and just a party-like figure. And then all of a sudden the party would be over because my dad would have gotten drunk by this point. And at that time is when the domestic violence really would kick in, when the alcoholism was running rampant through the household. And I remember being a kid and hiding under the bed and just trying to stay away from the man that was inflicting all of this violence on everyone in the household. I remember once trying to jump in and being tossed across the room because I was meddling in grown folks' business. I really never understood until one day that that raging alcoholic became me. I used to enjoy drinking, uh, what was it? Black Cherry Cisco wine. I remember it came out. And if I tell you by this time I, I was 17, 18 years old and this liquor had done hit the, the liquor store and, and I, I would drink a half a bottle and pass out because it was so strong they had to recall it. And right around that time, I remember taking my first hit of crack cocaine and being exposed to the things that it took to to just get loaded, drunk, high, one more time. I remember going looking for it for my aunt and my aunt saying, my mom's sister saying, you want to try it? And I'm like, no, I don't think I should. And and I remember trying it for the first time. And from that point forward, life for me changed. I started sleeping with men. I remember being pregnant a few times and couldn't stop drinking and using. I just couldn't stop the homelessness, everything that it took, geographics. <laughs> I remember one time packing up and leaving California with my next husband. and. I remember waking up in Philadelphia. How did I get to Philadelphia? I have no idea. Greyhound, but how did I get to Philadelphia from California? I have not a clue. But I remember waking up in these projects and being over there and just trying to hold it together because I needed a drink and couldn't get to a drink because it was snowing. And I'm in these projects. I'm up on the 50th floor and looking like the Good Times movie, trying to look down and couldn't get to a liquor store and needing to get to one. And by that time, I was drinking and using really bad. And I remember finally going out and the husband bringing me to where everybody was getting high at. And, and, and I remember asking the girl one time, what do you do when your high wears off? She said, get high some more. 
And I remember saying to myself, get high some more. What? No, I mean, when it's all said and done and everything is gone, what do you do? To, what, do you, what else do you do? There has to be something more to life than just this. And, and I remember her saying a second time, get loaded some more. And I remember thinking to myself, I just did not want that to be my story. By this time I had three kids. My first set of my first set of children were in foster care. First two were in foster care. And uh, I then had a third child who also had been placed in foster care. Because Get High Some More had become my story. And that traveled around with me for some years. For some years. By the time I was done getting high some more, I had five children in foster care. And by this point, Child Protective Services was actively in my life. And I remember the CPS worker turning the children over to the foster parent and saying to the foster parent, the mother has lost her mind. The mother does not know who she is. The mother doesn't know her head from a hole in the ground. And I remember being introduced to the recovery process by way of treatment and them sending me to a therapist just to find out where I was. And the therapist asked me, I remember just as clear as day, the therapist asking me, why do they use laundry soap? And my answer being, I don't know. I use it because my mother used it. I remember them showing me pictures of ink stains on pieces of paper. You know how they do at the psychiatry office. And me saying, oh, that looks like a horse and a cow. Not knowing that it's really just a test to see if you're going to say that's an ink stain on a piece of paper. It took a long time before I was able to say that laundry soap was for cleaning and purifying your clothes. It took years for me to be able to formulate that thought in my mind. So many times I was digging through garbage cans just for something to eat, contracted hepatitis C, get arrested. And, you know, I think it was the God of my understanding that was saving me every time I got arrested because each time I would get arrested, something was going on physically with my body that had I not been put in jail and forced to have a physical, I would not have known that I had contracted a venereal disease that was deadly. I would not have known that I had some form of hepatitis. I would not have known that that day that I jumped out of the car and I cut my leg because I was doing doing anything necessary to, 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 to get one more, that when I cut my leg and didn't go to the hospital that time, that I was actually, my blood was developing some type of poisoning. So many times the police saved my life. Hmm. By this time, I was 25 years old. I had five children. 
in foster care. And I knew my birthday was coming up and I just didn't want to use anymore. I didn't want to drink anymore. I just didn't want to live how I was living anymore. City to city, state to state, prostituting, uh, degrading myself, put myself in awkward positions, doing some strange things for some change. I just didn't want to live like that anymore. <laughs> and I decided it was time. But before I go there, let me just say that I was in San Francisco and I was prostituting on one of them corners. I couldn't leave a four block radius. And I had come across this guy who I was tricking with at the time. And he would bring me to his house and he would we we were doing some strange things for some change and some some whatever else. And and. Before we could start that, his process was that he he would sit me down and make me listen to AA tapes at the time. Because back when I got sober, October 19, 1994, the recordings were on tape. And I would listen to a tape and then he would give me some more to, to start drinking and using and 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 then we would proceed on to do whatever it was what we were doing and when he was done he give me a few quarters so I could go down to the liquor store and get me one more drink and go right back to what I was doing and this went on for about a six month period and one day he said you ever think about getting sober and I told him no for what he says maybe you might want to be a mother and get your kids out of foster care and my response was, no, I don't. But the seed had been planted with those AA tapes. They had been planted. And one day I decided maybe, just maybe I can. So I started going to the AA meetings. And I went for about 30 days and I heard what the people said. They said, go to 90 meetings in 90 days and try not to drink in between. Find yourself a sponsor. They said, get phone numbers. Women stick with the women and men stick with the men. And they said, get a commitment. Do something to be of service, to occupy your time. And I, I remember doing all of those things. And then one day I looked up and me and my mother got into a heated argument. You see, me and my mother used to use together. We used to drink together. We used to party together. We used to do strange things for some change together. And me and my mother got into a heated argument because I was no longer doing the things that I used to do. And I remember just as clearly as day, my mother saying to me, I liked you better when you were intoxicated than I do right now. At least then I could control you. And it devastated me. I had no tools back then. I did what I was told to do. I got phone numbers. I went to the meetings every day, sometimes three or four meetings a day because the facility at the time had meetings all day. What I didn't do was call any of those numbers. Now I've learned to dial them and not file them. And I ended up drinking again, you know, and I stayed out there for about a good 72 hours. And I knew 
while I was out there that this isn't where I needed to be. I, I remember sitting there one day and I, I had to got as drunk as I possibly could be, be. And I was sitting in the park. I had on this cute little form fitting dress and the dress was black and white. You know, it had black lines and white lines. And I remember the white lines had turned black. And by the time I made it back and was able to call a detox for some help, I remember I couldn't get there. I finally showed up to the detox. They said, be here in an hour. It was four hours later. And when I got there, they said that we you was due here three hours ago. We don't have a bed for you. And I remember turning around and walking toward the end of that alley because there was only one way in and one way out. So had nobody left out that facility. But I remember praying and saying, God, please help me. If I leave this alley today, I will die. Mm. Mm. (sighs) The people came yelling, hey, hey, you still want a bed? We got a bed. Now, I told you it was only one door in and one door out. It had nobody left. But within a matter of seconds, the door opened for me. And I stepped into that door. That was October 18, 1994. And from that day to this day, I have not looked back. Has it been an easy journey? No. Because remember, I said I had five children in foster care. And that's where my process began. I started going to meetings. I went to treatment and then I started going to meetings. And with going to meetings, I was able to get a sponsor. I remember going to the treatment program and telling the people at the treatment program, my sponsor said she talked to chairs. The people in the treatment program said, well, you, I, we think you might need to get a different sponsor. My sponsor said her higher power is a chair. And they said, well, your higher power can be whatever you want it to be. But we think you need to get a new sponsor. And 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 I was going to meetings on a regular basis. And I remember my counselor switching and this new counselor telling me, you need to get a new sponsor, Vicki. Because we want you to have a sponsor that believes in something other than a chair. Right. And uh, that's that journey from that day to this day has been a dynamic journey. You know, um, that following year, a couple of years later, I ended up having a baby by the trick guy that I mentioned earlier. And I stayed. I, I remember him being very angry because I was no longer available to do strange things for some change, make videos. I was no longer available to, to do the things that I was doing before. And, and, uh, when I wouldn't do it anymore, he took the videos that we made and distributed them in the community, mailed them to the church I was attending. And, uh, took me to court and got custody of my daughter. I think that was one of the first times that I really kind of I really kind of lost my mind clean. The good news is is that I didn't take nothing. 
because I remember them telling me that if you don't pick it up, it won't get you drunk. I remember them telling me, talk about everything and drink over nothing. And so I was going to meetings and I was talking about what was happening for me. Funny thing is, is the court removed the one child but left the other kids. Yeah, the kids by this time came home from foster care. Everybody's living in the house together. The court wasn't concerned about the other kids. They were only concerned about the one. Hmm. But I didn't drink anything. I didn't use anything. I stayed and I dealt through that one. And at about five years into recovery, I met the man of my dreams and uh, married this person. It was a whirlwind relationship. Big, beautiful church wedding. Sweetest person that I thought. I thought he was the sweetest thing walking the earth. And it turns out he was a child molester. He had been touching and feeling on my daughter since before we got married. And they were afraid to tell me. They were afraid to tell me because they heard me say, anybody ever touch you, you let me know because I'm a killer. And in their mind, what they processed was, if my mother kills this man, we are going to be left here with him. And our mom's going to go to jail. We can't tell her. And so for five years, I had this person in my house doing some things to my daughters that were not okay. We eventually had this man arrested and convicted. And uh, he hung himself in prison. But the aftermath of the damage that was done is still wreaking havoc in my family, still wreaking havoc. And when they talk about alcoholism being a family disease, that it is, that it is, you know. I uh, pray for my children on a regular basis that they will be released from the bondage of self, that they will be released from the disease of addiction. Those who are caught up and those who are not. I just recently buried my mom. Now I told you back then that I used with my mom. So when I got clean, my mom didn't. And 28 years later, my mom was still active in drinking and partying with her friends. And within the last three years, my mother was diagnosed with leukemia. And I've spent the last three years finding a way to be able to forgive through step work and sponsorship finding a way to forgive. And in the last two weeks that she was living, I realized that 
anything that was happening that we were doing when we were drinking and using together was no longer important. What she needed was for her daughter to be available. What I realized was that my mother was a wounded woman first. She was a wounded girl first. She was a kid having kids. She was a woman that was domestically abused on a regular basis. And my mother could not get clean. The book says constitutionally incapable. And I realized that that's who my mother was. One of the people that the book described as constitutionally incapable because the pain was so great. And in that, I found forgiveness for my part and what we did together, you know. And on my mom's deathbed, I was able to say to her, Mom, I love you. Mom, thank you for being a part of my life. Thank you for the good and the bad. Thank you for having me and not aborting me. Thank you for teaching me the good things that you did teach me. And on April 16th, my mother transitioned out of this world. The 16th of this month will be two months that my mother has been gone. And what I found is that I am not so rigid with things anymore. I find that I'm not so intolerant when it comes to certain stuff anymore. I have six children. Of my six children, I have two that are not talking to me right now. One of, Both of them are the parents of my grandchildren. And so when the parents aren't talking, the grandchildren can't come. So I haven't seen my grandbabies. And then I have four that are talking. I have one. No, I'm not going to talk about that. I'm not going to talk about that because it's not for me to talk about. That's that's her process. But I have one that needs some special kind of care and special kind of prayer. In general, this time that I've been here, my life has been amazing so far. There's been some good things and there's been some bad things, but my good things outweigh my bad things. I'm active in the program. I go to meetings on a regular basis. I do step work. I do service. I'm not only of service to the people in the fellowship, but I'm also of service to my family. I'm available today. I get the gift of having a a full-time job. I get to go to work today. I, I, I get to get paid on a certain time of the month and be able to pay my bills. I get to. I don't have to do anything. I get to. It's the luxury. It's the luxury things that make my life a little bit more comfortable. And I only have them because I'm not drinking and using today. I only have them because I trust that the God of my understanding is going to see me through. Right now, one of my sons is here. I, I bought, I purchased the house in the last last year or so. 
and one of my sons is here and he decided that he's going to be my master gardener because I am a gardener. So he's in the backyard right now. He's built a uh, planter box and he's planting all kinds of fruits and vegetables. I believe in fruits and vegetables and herbs out of my own yard. I found the benefits of them for myself. They last longer than the grocery store. So I garden. And that's one of my favorite pastimes. One of the other things that I enjoy doing is I enjoy fishing. I enjoy traveling. I mentioned earlier that I work, I get to work now. And because I get to work full time, they also pay me to take time off. And so I get to go on vacations and all of my traveling is centered and focused around recovery. When it's time to plan something, that means there's a convention going on somewhere. And when you look up Vicky somewhere clean across the world, you know, when the pandemic hit, one of the first things I thought about was, what do you mean they closed the world down? They can't do that. How are we going to go to meetings? But you mean the church said we can't come because of the pandemic. We have to have our meeting. And uh, out popped first blue jeans. And then from blue jeans became Zoom. And I have been all over the world. Thanks to the pandemic. And I know people from here to the other side of Egypt and people know me and that's because I continue to stay and I continue to keep coming back. I continue to not use in between. I continued to be available and not hide behind the screen through the pandemic. I decided, okay, well, since I'm working from home, I might as well garden. I was farmer's market for my family during the pandemic. You know, I would uh, go up to my fishing spot and fish for the weekend and I'd come back with fresh fish and go in my yard and have them come and get their fresh vegetables. And I am consciously living beyond my wildest dreams right now. I feel like I'm living in my purpose right now. I believe that I'm living in God's plan for me. One day at a time, as long as I don't pick it up, it won't get me drunk. One day at a time. One of my daughters is a musician. And you can put her little name in Google and her name will pop up and um, her music will pop up. And at the same time, when you say, who is her mother? My picture will pop up and my name will pop up and none of that means anything if I'm drinking. The one thing I don't want to be known as is her drunk mama. So the way I respond to things today is very different from the way that I used to. I've observed that since my mother's passing, I'm, I'm, I'm kinder and more understanding than I was two years ago.
six months ago. <laughs> you know, um, I remember this old guy. He used to always say to me when I first got got in recovery, drop your expectations and lower your standards. Your expectations are just too damn high for anybody to reach. Why? You can't even, you can't even reach them. And I never understood what he meant. And now I do. How can I expect for somebody to accomplish something that I'm not even trying to accomplish? I've also learned to keep my money in the bank. If you don't have it to loan, don't give it out. Yeah. As a result, I don't have any hungry days. I have less resentments. They say you want to get rid of a friend, loan them some money. And I don't really want to get rid of any friends. Because I only have a few anyway. On a daily basis, I thank God I'm not using anymore. I thank God I'm sober. I wake up first thing in the morning. The first thing I do is I say, good morning, God. Thank you. Thank you for waking me up without me having a hangover. Thank you for waking me up without me having to wake up and look for my bottle. Thank you for waking me up in my right frame of mind. And with that, I'm a close. My name is Vicki. I'm a recovering alcoholic, and I'm grateful. Thank you, Vicki. I'm having mixed emotions. You're you're a powerful, powerful speaker, but there's there's somberness to it, and I'm I'm going to muddle through my questions here, but know that I'm deeply grateful for your story. So 29 years in, 28, you, 28, 28 and a half. Yes. Well, you give me that. Okay. You've been sober for 28 plus years and you wake up. It sounds like still with a very deep gratitude for your sobriety. Yes. Yes. How does it not wear off? I remember when. You know, there's a new song out and it says, I remember when, I remember when, I remember when I lost my mind. And I remember when, I remember when I was homeless. I remember when I was digging through garbage cans. I remember when I was prostituting. I remember hanging out on the corners and the guys I just finished tricking with were passing by with their wives and would turn their heads. I can't let it wear off. I can't let my gratitude go away. Because the moment I lose gratitude is the moment I will drink. So you were 20, you were about 26 when you got sober? Yes, I was. Clean, clean and sober. So, so I, I, I think back to myself when I was 26 and it, I was a totally different person. I was just a kid and you were a totally different person on so many different levels. You grew up in the rooms. Yes. Yes. And you just said that 
you are more kinder and understanding than you were two years ago, six months ago. So you're continuing to get growth from the program. Yeah. A newcomer might think, shouldn't you have figured it all out by now? <laughs> no. <laughs> the, the, the longer I stay sober, the more I realize, the less I know. <laughs> no, no, I, I haven't figured it out. And if you know anyone who's figured it out, if you could just tell me who they are and I can call them, that would be great. I think that's what life does, right? It just continues to humble us if we're doing the right thing, not in a victimizing way, but in a loving, I'm more kind, I'm more understanding. You just lost your mom. I'm so sorry for your loss. But at the same time, you're you're growing from it. Because I imagine, not because you're just such an awesome person, but because you have all these tools now to grow from it instead of break from it. Exactly. Exactly. And it's been tools that I've gathered over the years, not tools that I picked up one day and, oh, look, I've got tools. But over the years, they I remember they used to say, um, if you don't need it, store it away until the day you need it. And now I have this a trunk box and this trunk box is just filled with goodies. And I get the opportunity to dig in my trunk box on a regular basis and figure out what's going to work for me today. Which tool will I use today to, which tool will I use in this moment to deal with this situation? So yes, you're right. I have tons of tools. And, and again, I've been filling this lock box, this chest for 28 years. And it's it's so many different ways to deal with every situation. I'm going to take you back to a situation that you've mentioned, which was so bizarre, I'm sure, for everybody listening. This dude, who we don't like because of later in the story, he's not cool. But this dude sits you down and has you listen to AA tapes. Which, by the way, <laughs> I consider keep coming back. This, what we're doing right now. I, I like to, my, I like to say this is speaker tapes for this generation, right? Cause they don't make tape players and CD players in cars anymore. So it's all on our phone. So the whole premise of this is to be a speaker tape for this generation. Correct. So dude, that's my little plug. That's my little thing. Okay. So dude sits you down and has you listen to an AA tape and then proceeds to do whatever. But at one point he asks you, you might have to think about this before you answer. I don't know. We'll see. He asked if you ever thought about getting sober. And when you shared the story, you kind of had a snotty, like, no, no, I don't. Like, why would I do that? Was it that no, you didn't want to, or that you had no idea how to go about doing that? I knew. Or both. I knew how to go about doing it. I, I think that the shame and humiliation and degradation of the things that I have been doing to 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 stay intoxicated were more powerful at that time than the notion of not drinking again. I, I, I have been I was homeless. I was prostituting. I had abandoned my children. They, they were in a safe place, but I wasn't. And the shame and humiliation of the things that I had been doing were so heavy, the thought of not using 
and drinking. Never crossed my mind. For what? I don't want to feel those feelings. No. Ah! But you did. Yeah. I did. I did. Because the seed had been planted on more than one occasion. See, he was a regular. And um, I listened to a whole bunch of AA tapes before I made it here. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why that shouldn't laugh. That is not funny, right? (laughs) That's not funny. It's like, what kind of trick was he? Playing eight of the pops. So random. Uh, you know, but that's what it was. And little did I know it was the God of my understanding exposing me and telling me there is a nut, there is a solution, Vicky. You don't have to do this anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You've been sober longer than you weren't. That's correct. Sober and clean. That's correct. I've been I've been sober twice as long as I used. That's correct. That's a miracle of the program. And, and what's interesting is may he rest in peace. That gentleman actually, um, little did I know, would be my my segue into recovery and guided me toward recovery. While he didn't think that I was going to stay, he definitely guided me toward recovery. He was the father of my youngest daughter that I mentioned. And he actually ended up using, <laughs> I stayed clean on a day. I stayed clean because he just didn't think I could. I stayed sober because he didn't think I could. I don't think you can stay sober. And I said, watch me. You'll be loaded before me. And and he actually ended up relapsing on prescribed meds. And um, mm. eventually he passed a couple years ago. But And may he rest in peace wherever that is for him. Life is very different. So in a way, I sort of owe him a little bit of gratitude for guiding me here. Because without him, I don't think I would. I don't know how I would have found the rooms. My most favorite part of every story is that exact moment when we're exposed or we consider or we find the rooms. And I'm not sure I will ever, I'm pretty certain, rather, I will never forget your moment where you were exposed. (laughs) Found your way into the room. So, (laughs) And neither will anyone else from this point forward. (laughs) I know, right? Right? That's a, that's one. That's hard to beat. Vicky wins that one, <laughs> hands down. Best story. <laughs> we 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 say it. Um, you know, it doesn't matter how you get here. The idea is that you stay. Hmm. I'm so glad that you stayed, and I'm so glad that you keep coming back. It's just, it's this would not work if you guys, old timers. When I say you guys. Hmm did not come back around and show us this shitty stuff that happens in life. Oh my God. The you're, I mean, some hard stuff you are going through and have gone through and you're still, you make my faith look like fair weather faith because your faith is still so strong. Yeah. Well, 
I, I always say that no one's pain is greater than the other. But sometimes I listen to somebody else's pain and think to myself, ooh, I'm glad I didn't happen to me. But I know somebody, you want to talk to somebody. And that's the gift of recovery is that as long as we're sharing about it, there's always going to be somebody that went through what you're experiencing. And that phone number can be given to you. And you never, ever, ever have to pick it up if you dial that phone number. They say, call me first. I don't really like talking to people who relapse that's been around for some time in the beginning of them coming back. One, because my feelings are hurt. I take it personal. And two, because I know that we've given you the tools that you call us first. I talk to them anyway, but I ask them, did you have phone numbers? What prevented you from using a phone number before you called the dope man, the alcoholic? What made you go to the liquor store before you called us? Because I know for a fact that things get hard. Stuff happens. Friends of mine say shit happens. But you call us before you decide to go to the corner store. Do you know how many different color liquors are out there right now? <laughs> they have pink liquor, right? And my head will say, ooh, I've never tried that. Why is it turquoise blue? Well, what is that? And then the other part of my brain will say, that well, that's that's going to cause you to lose your house. That's going to cause you to lose your job. That's going to cause you to lose your mind. That's going to cause you to be out on the street again. It's going to cause you to be prostitute again. It's going to cause you to be homeless again. It's it's, it's going to cause so many problems. Don't worry about what that is. In fact, why are we in the bar anyway? Can we leave? <laughs> My head talks to me, right? No, oh, yes. And it tells me good things too. It, it it coaches me along from the bad things as well. So it's not an easy process, but it's much easier to stay where I am than it is to go back where I was. Yeah. It's easier to stay sober than to get sober. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything that you're thinking of now or anything in your story that you left out that you'd like to share? Be kind to yourself. You know, I, I get the gift of being kind to myself. I don't have to be so hard on me. Just be gentle. Be gentle with myself. Just a daily reminder. Vicky, be gentle. Don't say things to yourself that are not kind, Vicky. Stop calling yourself stupid. You're not stupid. You're quite, that, you're quite brilliant. <laughs> the positive self-talk that I have to give myself on a regular basis is so important. Yeah, That's what I would say. I really like that. I need that. Mm -hmm. Final question for the alcoholic or addict out there listening, suffering. What message would you like to leave them with? That if you don't pick it up, it won't get you drunk. And this too shall pass. For more information, read the first 164 pages of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous or visit keepcomingback.net.